we are starting a series, or we're starting a series called All In, and uh, just to kind of uh, kind of let you into that, what that's all about. Um, today is a very interesting day uh, in the calendar, and I want to ask a question which I've never asked before in the church service. I just, I just, we've just never done it. Is it anybody's birthday today? Anyone? Tomorrow? Tuesday? Is it anyone's birthday in the month of May? <laughs> so, so if you guys would stand for a moment, all right, if you guys could just stand for a moment. I've never ever done this, okay? We are going to sing happy birthday to you guys, okay? <laughs> so when it comes to dear, just say dear them, all right? So here we go, maestro. Okay, we go. One, two, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear. Blah, 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 blah. Happy birthday to you. Let's put our hands together and applaud them. Woo! Brilliant. You can take your seats feeling suitably embarrassed and exposed here this morning. You know, it is actually somebody else's birthday today. You know, we celebrate Christmas as the birth of Christ, and the whole world stops to celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Easter as that moment when we remember when Jesus died and when he was buried and when he rose again. And much of the world understands Easter. But today is the day when the church celebrates the birth of the church. And nobody outside of the church even realizes it, if, if we're honest. But today is the day in the church calendar when we celebrate that moment when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day, what we call the day of Pentecost, and the church was born. It's the church's birthday and not just th this church, but the church globally. And what we're going to do this morning is something very different for us, okay? So if you're newer to us, and maybe you're not yet a Christian, and you're not yet kind of, you're just checking it out, you're exploring it. This is a little bit different for us, but we want to just talk a little bit this morning about what the church is really all about. Who is, what is this thing called the church? And that's what we want to focus on this morning. You see, on the day when, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, that group of first century early Christians went so all into God and so all into the mission of God that they and those that followed them literally changed the world and today we're going to celebrate the birth of the church and I, I don't know but when you think about what is the church we people all think about a building but the church is not a building the ch although the church uses buildings often but you know the church is much more dynamic than that the church is eternal it was born and birthed in the heart of God before anything else was there so it's not just a recent thing. It didn't just appear on the day of Pentecost. It's actually eternal. It was born and birthed in the heart of God from before anything else was there. The church is unstoppable. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. The church is unstoppable. Even when churches close, it will pop up somewhere else on the planet because the church is unstoppable. The church is also mystical. There's a mystery to the church, okay? And, and if you're involved in church, and if you've been involved in church community for any amount of months and years, you know that you think, I'm just getting this thing worked out, and then I can't quite understand what it is. It's a mystery. There's something mystical about the church. The church is countercultural. You know, at its best, the church is speaking into the culture, and often it's saying a different point of view. And we don't like that, but the church is countercultural. That means it's not always popular, but when it's at its best, it's always bringing God's perspective into situations. And this is the one that some people struggle with. The church is beautiful. 
The church is built. Now, it's not beautiful in the fact that it's perfect and it's arrived. It's beautiful in the way that the beholder views it. Because beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And God, the beholder, says, I think this church is beautiful. And I am working my way by my spirit through it till it becomes the beauty that I know it can be. And I want to give you a couple of little snapshots. Just a little, because occasionally we see a little bit of the beauty of the church and it takes our breath away. And many of you know that I've just come back from a two-week study break in America. And I saw different aspects and different expressions of church, very different. But I saw some really beautiful things. And I want to show you a couple of moments. This is the first moment that I want to show you, if you can put the picture. This is the Dream Center in downtown Los Angeles. And uh, this is the place where me and Matt, uh, one of the other leaders in the church, we spent three days when we signed up as short-term missionaries. So there was me and Matt and then loads of other short-term missionaries, mostly who were 19, 20, and 21. We blended in just like that, as you can imagine. But we wanted to do that. We didn't want to go to a conference. We wanted to get our hands dirty. So we, we loaded up crates of food on the back of trucks. We headed out into downtown areas. We went to feed the homeless in Skid Row. We went into housing communities, hung around in gangland culture and all of that. And then on the Thursday night at the Dream Center Church here, they had a midweek service. And the reason I've shown you this picture is because that lad standing up is a lad with, with special needs. And during that song, they were doing a song over the offering bit. So everyone was sat down. This lad was standing up and just worshipping Jesus like that with tears rolling down his cheeks. Behind me were a load of homeless people that they'd bust in to come to the service. Over this side were some immigrant and some migrant workers that had obviously recently just arrived, didn't speak English. All around the place, for a couple of thousand people, were a lot of other people who were obviously very rich and very, you know, well-to-do. The girl that was singing on the stage is the current Miss California. And that moment there, with that lad with his arms in the air, knowing that these homeless guys are behind me, these migrant workers who couldn't speak English, these rich people, and Miss California, in the same space, worshipping the same God, took my breath away. I thought, that's what makes the church beautiful. And then in the second week, I moved on to Texas. And here's another picture from Texas of me and a bunch of guys going out shooting. Now, don't judge me, all right, because I need just to backtrack it a little bit. I do not understand. And if you're American, please, I love America. I love Americans. I don't understand the Americans, not all the Americans, but the fixation with guns. I don't get it. I said to this guy in a church in Texas, so do you have guns? And he said to me, do you mean on me? I'm like, that's not really what I meant. And he said, I've got, one in the, I've got one in the pickup. I'm like, okay. Now, I didn't want to go shooting on this day. But the reason I went is that in that photograph there are two Brits, two Kenyans, and two South Africans. And we didn't know each other before that day, m many of us. I knew some of them, but not all of them. But in that moment, and in that moment of connecting together, we actually became really good friends. And where else does that happen on the planet where you can meet someone who you don't know from a completely different culture and in a moment you connect and you become friends, that's the church. That's the beauty of the church of Jesus Christ. And the final picture I want to show is not from our trip in America, but the next one, please, Merlin, is from two years ago at our 35th celebration. How many of you were there? You remember this moment, don't you? You remember this moment when someone put on Twitter how Zoeing is the place where dreams go to die. And when we read that, we were so incensed and motivated that, we, that at our celebration there, we got 500 balloons and we wrote on it or we encouraged people in the community. Thousands of people, hundreds of people were there from the community and many of us from the church. And we wrote on it what our dream for this town and this community is. And we set those things go. And I still think about that picture as a beautiful snapshot moment of what the church can become, don't you? 
And we this morning want to celebrate. We want to celebrate this amazing, amazing thing, mystery, unstoppable, eternal, countercultural thing called the church. You see, the church is not only beautiful, the church is purposeful. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, if you know Jesus and you're part of this thing called the church, is to be the hands, feet, voice, body of Christ on the earth, revealing Jesus and his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. There is nothing greater to give your life to than that. So we're going to stand together and we are going to celebrate what God has done. And we're going to celebrate what God has done by sending Jesus by Jesus growing and living and dying and rising again from the dead and by Him going back to the Father and sending out His Holy Spirit onto planet Earth. And so we this morning are going to be unashamedly open and we are going to celebrate this incredible thing called the church. And more than that, we're going to celebrate the head of the church, the Lord of the church, the builder of the church, the sustainer of the church, Jesus Christ Himself. So we're going to pray right now. Would you join with me? Father, we want to thank you this morning. God, we join today, not just on Pentecost Day, but this is Global Day of Prayer. We are joining with the rest of our brothers and sisters all around planet Earth. People that we may never, ever meet, may never, ever see, may never, ever know their names. But God, we are connected because of your Spirit. And Lord, I pray that as just a few of us here in this part of of the black country celebrate the church and celebrate you. God, today, would there be an explosion of your spirit all across this planet, we pray. God, we have got a lot of work to do, but Lord, by your spirit with us and in us, God, we can see amazing things happen. So Lord, now as we celebrate the fact that you so loved the world that you sent your son to be the saviour of the world, as we lift up our voices, as we pour out our praise to you, as we, as we sing about you and to you, Uh, God, I pray that, Lord, by your Spirit, would you fill us again with a great sense of hope and optimism about all that you want to do in these days. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take our offering as part of our worship as we sing. Let's worship. I'm going to read something to you. The words will come up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. This is from Acts chapter 2. And it says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. So they didn't speak in unknown tongues that nobody else could understand. They spoke in an unknown tongue to them, but other people knew the tongue because they were speaking in their language, which is interesting. When they heard this, this crowd came together in bewilderment. Each was speaking their own language, each heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Then drop down a few verses, amazed and perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Anyone had too much wine? No, don't look at that. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And then Peter began to preach a a message about who Jesus was, what they'd done to Jesus, what God did with Jesus and what this Holy Spirit thing was all about. And on that day, the Bible says 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus and the church began. That's amazing. This is how the church began. They all went 
all in to what God was doing. When God filled that room and filled their lives with his Holy Spirit, they went all in. And that bunch of, at this time, or just before this, were very bewildered, very afraid, very confused, because they'd put all their hope in Jesus, and they'd seen Jesus die, and Jesus be taken away. But then he was resurrected, and then he poured out his Spirit. So this bunch of people, who'd gone from hopeful and optimistic to depressed and pessimistic, became full of the power of God, and they became the church. And them and those after them, many of them in that early period of the church history, gave their lives for what they believed in. They gave their lives for the experience that they'd had. They went all in and it cost them their whole life. And I want you to know that when the church began, it was the church that first launched universities, hospitals, orphanages, helped establish laws across our planet. It was the church and Christians who bought some of the finest music, art and literature to our planet. It was the church that have contributed to the fight for the abolition of slavery and for other human rights issues. And it is the church that is now still the single biggest faith on the planet with over 2 billion people saying that they are Christians. That's exciting, isn't it? Well, I'm excited about it, even if I'm the only person here that is excited. But how is the church in the UK, or specifically, how is the church in England doing today? Recently, in fact, last year, a very well-researched piece of work has come out. It's a survey commissioned by the Church of England, by the Evangelical Alliance, and by an organization called Hope. And here are some really, really interesting statistics. And I know stats can say and do anything, okay? But this is a very well put together piece of work. And I want to just give you a few highlights and then a few thoughts about what I think this means for us. And then we're going to pray this morning. On Global Day of Prayer, we're going to join with the rest of the church on the planet and we're going to pray, okay? And, and again, if you're newer to this and you're exploring the whole faith thing and you're not quite sure about this, just hang with us, okay? It isn't as weird and freaky as what it may sound, okay? Just hang with us uh, for a few minutes this morning. Here's some snapshots about this survey. 57% of people in England still identify themselves as Christian. 57%. There are 9% who would identify themselves as practicing Christians. Practicing Christian means that they go to church at least regularly, which is at least once a month, um, that they read the Bible and that they pray. Now, that seems low. It's higher than it was the last time one of these pieces of work was done. It was 7%. It's now 9%. But 57% of people still identify themselves as Christians. 40% of people in England do not realize that Jesus was a real person who actually lived. So we've got a lot of work to do there in just clearing up that issue. One in four 18 to 34-year-olds believe that Jesus was a mythical or fictional character. One in four. That's quite scary. And yet 43% of people would say they believe in the resurrection in some way, shape or form. Maybe not everything literally as, as, as many of us would in the Bible. But 40, that's almost half of people in this country would still say they believe in the resurrection, which is interesting. In terms of religious affiliation, 57%, uh, you probably won't see the figures, I'll read them. 57% identify themselves as Christian, 12% atheist, 9% agnostic, which means they're not sure, which I think most atheists fall in that category, but we won't go there. 3% Muslim, only 3%. Many of us have this whole fear thing around, around Islam, and I understand that, but let's get real about it as well. Only 3% in, this, in England identify themselves as Muslim, 2% Hindu, 2% Jewish, 1% Buddhist, Sikh is even less than 1%, other 3% and none, 11%, that's the rise. People who say no religious affiliation, that's the rise, okay? 
So practicing Christians is on the rise, which is great. But also those who have no religious affiliation is on the rise. That's interesting. Where do these people live in England? The West Midlands, unfortunately, has the lowest percentage of practicing Christians in England. We are 6%. National average is 9%. We are 6%. The South East is 22%, which is really high. So we've got a lot of work to do in this part of the, of the country, haven't we? So what about us or those of you that identify yourselves this morning as practicing Christians? Okay, and n- not all of you might do that, but I guess most of you would. And you're here in church and that's one of, one of the things. Jesus says in Matthew 28, 19 to 20, we commonly call this the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. When Jesus uses the word command in all the translations of the Bible of these verses, that word command comes in every single one of them. Other words are translated differently. That word command comes in every single one. Jesus said, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to go into all the world making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you to do. 95% of practicing Christians believe that it's all of our responsibility to share Jesus. 95%. And there's some real encouragement here. Many of us are doing it. 33%, which is a third, have shared Jesus with someone in the last week. Another 33% in the last month. Recently, I was coming back from somewhere, uh, in fact, just a week or so ago with Alison on a plane. And uh, we were going to plan the marriage uh, event together on our three-hour journey back from somewhere where we'd been for a few days. And so she's sitting there by the window. I'm in the middle. Then this lady comes and sits by me. She's in her early 30s. And I always talk to people on planes. Sometimes it goes well. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> Interesting stories there. And so I begin to chat to this, to this lady. Three hours later, as we touch down in Birmingham, I'm still talking to her. So we didn't plan the marriage time, but we will plan it for those of you coming. All right, let me just say that. And it was a fascinating conversation about life and work and everything. And then I can't, I can't I won't tell you all of it, but it was amazing. Then she said, and what do you do? So we had this whole kind of thing about what I do and all that. And we went there. But at the end of it, I, was, I would love to tell you that she knelt down on the aisle and gave her life to Jesus, but she didn't. But she did talk to me about her mother who died when she was 23 and the bitterness in their family and how she can't forgive her uncle, etc., etc., etc. And I was able to talk to her about the power of forgiveness and what bitterness can do. And she said as we were taxiing down and said, come down to run, I can't believe I said all this to you on this plane. And then as we got off, she said, you've really given me something to think about. And I'm not saying that to big myself up. I'm saying that to say there are people out there who are looking, but they're looking to the people who say they have the answer. We've got to share more about Jesus. We've got to talk more about the faith that we say is really important to us. What's really, really interesting is that millennials who are 18 to 25 year olds talk about Jesus the most often. And yet they are the lowest percentage of practicing Christians. And it's the millennials who aren't practicing Christians who talk about Jesus more than those who are. It's really interesting. How do non-Christians, those who don't say they're a Christian, how do they encounter Jesus? Here's something interesting. Most non-Christians know at least one practicing Christian. 67%, almost two-thirds, well, two-thirds of non-Christians know at least one practicing Christian. And 40% of those, it's a family or a, a family member or a friend. One in five non-Christians say that after a conversation about faith with a practicing Christian, they are still open to finding out more. That should encourage you. That should say, oh, okay, well, four, four out of five aren't, but one in five are. 
and they're open. So if, you are, if you've ever spoken to someone about Jesus and you haven't had a great response there and then, and they haven't knelt down and given their life to Jesus, don't give up. Keep going. In fact, tonight we've got week four of Reason to Believe. It's been great to see so many of you come to Reason to Believe over the last few weeks and, and see people on a journey, you know, asking questions about God. And again, if you've never been, you can come tonight. You could bring someone tonight. You could bring someone next Sunday for the final week of the course. Great opportunities. How do people become followers of Jesus? This is interesting. The four biggest factors in becoming a follower of Jesus are these. Being brought up in a Christian family, which I know is not everybody's privilege, but that's the number one reason. Conversations with, another, with a practicing Christian about their faith. That's the number two reason. Attending a church service. What's really interesting is, is not a fresh expression or cafe church or messy church. That comes really low down the list, which is really interesting. And I'm not making a statement about that. It's just really interesting that very high up in the list is attending a regular church service. Where people are made to feel welcome, where they can hear the gospel, where they can make sense of it, where they can go on a journey. That's really high. And then fourthly, reading the Bible. So what does all this mean for us as we consider going all in? Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk and I'm going to talk to you about what does it mean for a church to go all in. Okay? And if none of you are here next week, I will take that as something. All right? Because next week, I'm going to talk about what it really means to go all in. What does it mean for us as a church to go all in? But what are the implications of all this on the day of Pentecost? What does it mean? What does it mean to go all in to what God wants to do? Firstly, I think we must be encouraged by some of these statistics. You know, I, I, over the last, the last 40 years, 50 years of my life, you know, whenever I've heard church statistics about the church in the, in the UK, they've always been depressing. And when you read about the Church of England, which is our state church, and obviously the one that gets a lot of profile and publicity, you know, ever since I was a kid, it's like, oh, the numbers in the Church of England are going down and down and down. And if it continues on this trajectory, there will be no Church of England by this year. The Church of England is no longer declining. That's good news. That's really good news. For the first time in decades, not only is it flatline, but it's beginning to see green shoots of recovery in many places in the country. That's great news. We should be encouraged by that. But secondly, we must pray. We have enormous challenges in this country as Christians. We have enormous challenges as the church. We have great opportunities, but we have great challenges. We must pray. Thirdly, we must understand that generally we are liked in our culture. Generally. Generally, we have a good reputation in our culture. I think, fourthly, we must support Christian parents and families. If that's the main area where people say, this is the, you know, often for our children, growing up in Christian families is one of the biggest factors coming to faith, then we must support Christian parents and families. But fifthly, we must prioritize, folks, children, teenagers, and young adults. I am not saying that if you're not in that category, you're not important. I'm not in that category, and I know I'm important to God. But we must prioritize children, teenagers, and young adults. Because if that's where the fruitful harvest most is, and if the millennials, the young adults, are the hardest generation to reach, and the missing generation in lots of churches, we must prioritize children, teenagers, and young adults. And fifthly, or sixthly, we must demonstrate what it means to be the church, not to go to church. What does it mean to be the church? Well, Jesus says, we are the church when we love one another. That's massive. Jesus said, by this will all men know you're my disciples, that you love one another. The way we are with one another is a massive apologetic to our world. And by that, I mean it's a massive communication of who Jesus really is. 
But when they see us divided or when they see us bitter or when they see us broken together in relationship, that says nothing positive about who Jesus is. And we are the church when we do good deeds. You know, Peter said, live, live such good lives that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, one of the things that impacted me the most, and I'm going to share more about this next week, about my time in America, especially at the Dream Center, was seeing these guys, they call it the church that never sleeps. And there's 200 ministries go out from this hospital that these guys have bought. And they literally, every day, every day, they go out and they serve. And they serve the poor. And their whole thing is this, find a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. That's it. Find a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. And the way that they demonstrate the love of Christ is phenomenal. And I was there on Skid Row when they gave hot dogs out to these guys and gave water to these guys. And then prayed with some of these guys as it was appropriate. And prayed for them to be healed or prayed for them to get a job or just prayed for them. And just a phenomenal expression of what it means to be the church when we do good deeds. I think we are the church when we enter in and go all in. And can I say, if you've not kind of fully committed into this part of the church, then I'd really encourage you to come along tomorrow night. You're going to learn about who we are and what our culture is and what our vision and our values and our strategy and how you could, how you could enter in and, and go fully in to what this church is all about. I really encourage you to come along tomorrow night. And then finally, I think we're the church when we speak up and share our faith. Paul says in Romans 10 verse 14, But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Pretty simple, isn't it? It's like, you know, you want people to believe. You want your family. You want your friends. You want your work colleagues to believe in Jesus, to put their hope and faith and trust in him. How can they do that if you don't tell them? You can show them. But you've got to tell them at some point in the process. And what I want to do as we finish is just to think about this. What caused the early church to go all in? To be sold out and to change the world? You know, there are several dynamics at work in the early church. We're going to look at those dynamics next week. But the main dynamic that started it all was the dynamic of the Holy Spirit. And I know it's kind of 10 months after what happened to our building next door. But I'm going to mention the F word in church this morning. We're going to talk about fire. Because, you know, on Tuesday night at Encounter, how many of you were there? I know many of you were there. We looked at the symbols of the Holy Spirit and we looked at wind and we looked at water. Well, one of the other main symbols of the Holy Spirit is fire. And the Bible says that when the Spirit came, there seemed to be what appeared to be tongues of fire on everyone's head. doesn't mean there were literally tongues of fire. The Bible doesn't say that. It says what appeared to be. And it was like something was happening in those people. And if there's what appears to be a tongue of fire on your head, the reality is you can't see your own, but you can see someone else's. And so they're all looking around and saying, I can see God's doing something in your life. And it appeared to be like tongues, like flames of fire. But something happened in those early Christians that the fire of the Holy Spirit so impacted them that they went out of their room, they went out of their building, and they impacted the world. Folks, that's got to be what happened to us, hasn't it? That we go out of our room, out of our buildings, and we impact our world. And I want to invite the band to come back. And uh, we're going to just simply... Invite the Holy Spirit this morning. I know this is really different for us on a Sunday morning. I get that. And again, if you're newer to us, then just check us. You know that we, you know, we try and explain all that we're doing. But we want to invite the Holy Spirit to come. And I want to ask maybe some of us who say we are practicing Christians. I want to ask you, are you on fire this morning? Are you on fire this morning? It's the fire of the Holy Spirit that burns in your heart still a flame within you. No, I became a Christian when I was 15, which is 35 years ago nearly. 
And I remember what it was like when I first came alive with God. And I told the story on Tuesday night about my journey with the Holy Spirit over that next five or six years. But my heart and cry is I want to be more on fire for God now than I was when I was a teenager. And over this next decade, I don't want to burn out. I want to burn on. And I want to carry on. And I can only do that through my connection with the Holy Spirit. And maybe this morning, some of you, you know, some of us maybe are wood that's never been burned. We've never given ourselves to God. We've never invited Him. We say, oh, the fire comes on a sacrifice that we've never given ourselves to be that sacrifice. William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army and one of my spiritual heroes, he came to a moment in his young life when he said, I told the Lord he can have all there is of William Booth. And he gave everything. He became the wood on the altar. Maybe some of us, We've had that experience, but actually now the fire is really flickering and fading fast. And Paul said to Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that is within you. Some of us have put out the fire ourselves. Paul says that in 1 Thessalonians, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Fire increases or decreases depending on what you put on it. And some of us have put out the fire ourselves. Some of us have had other people put out the fire. You know, the wet blanket people that there are on this planet and even in church. And some of us who are a pile of ashes, who were once on fire and now we think, do you know what? We are cold ashes. God can relight the fire. God can relight the fire. And so I want to invite you to stand with me this morning. And I want to invite you this morning. Just in, We've got some time left and we're going to come back and we're going to pray corporately together. We're going to do some liturgy today, which is very new for us. But before we do that, I want us just to invite the Holy Spirit. Can we do that? And maybe this is helpful to me. If it's helpful to you, maybe just put our hands out as a sign of saying, I want to surrender and I want to bring myself. And maybe you've got cold and you got disconnected from God and maybe you've got disconnected from church and yet you're here this morning and you're here this morning because God knew you'd be here and you're here because God wants you to be here. So maybe just surrender to Him and wherever you are, whether you say, I've never really surrendered my life to the fire of God, then you could do that today. Or you could say, well, I did, but it's flickering, fading fast. Or I've put it out, or someone else has put it out, or actually I'm a pile of ashes. Just wherever you are, just open your hands and say, Lord God, Holy Spirit, would you break out in my life? Spirit of God, would you break out in my life? Would you break the walls down that there is in my life? And God, in me and through me, God, I don't want to just be a statistic in this nation. And we do not want to be held bondage or captive by statistics. God, we want to be the alive, dynamic body of Christ on the earth. Loving, living, serving, sharing, speaking out what you've done in us. So Holy Spirit, would you come? And would you this morning, on this day of Pentecost, invite the fire of the Holy Spirit again to fill your life in Jesus' name. Come, Lord. Holy Spirit, come. Just invite Him right where you are. You don't, I don't have to do anything for you. You can do it. Just say, Jesus, would you come? Holy Spirit, would you light my fire again? Would you light me on fire with your presence in Jesus' name? And Lord, now as we pray through this song and then through our voices in prayer, God, we ask, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you fill us? And I pray that this would be a moment in time where we encounter you, where you do something in our hearts and in the heart of this church, where we go all in, 
where we go all in to who you are and to what you want to do. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Break out, I pray, in Jesus' name.